just three weeks ago, after his best game ever as a running back for the Dallas Cowboys, Joseph Randall, the very next day, was arrested for shoplifting at a suburban Dallas department store. He had pilfered some Gucci cologne, which fittingly was called guilty, (laughs) and also some polo underwear. He was picked up out in the parking lot, arrested for shoplifting, and he said, well, y'all got me here. But it's so interesting, Joseph Randall is in his second year of a $2.3 million rookie contract. Why do people steal? Josh McDowell reported on a study done of teenagers, and this particular survey said that 68% of kids said that they shoplifted regularly. Stealing is rampant. Identity theft is at an all-time high. It seems that people have the disease of wanting to take other people's things. Well, the backdrop for all of this is the Eighth Commandment. We're in a series called, What Does God Expect From Me? And the Eighth Commandment simply reads like this. It's in your notes. You can look at it on the screen as well, if that is helpful to you in learning. It simply reads, you shall not steal. Now, like a number of these other commandments, you may be be here today and think, this doesn't really apply to me. Well, I can't remember the last time I took something that didn't belong to me, but I want you to listen with an open heart today because uh, you may come to understand that there's a lot of ways we steal, maybe even without knowing it. So let's jump into our study. First, I want you to, to ask this question, why is it wrong to steal in the first place? Why is it wrong to take something and to keep something that doesn't belong to us. Well, there are two primary reasons I'll mention. One is because it violates others' God-given right to property. You see, through this commandment, God had established the right of the individual to actually have possessions, to, to own things, if you will. By the way, that's why Karl Marx the founder of the socialist mindset, the person who started the communist philosophy. Marxist ideology teaches that the government should own everything and the government should give it and distribute it equally to the people. But the Bible's teaching is quite different. The Bible teaches that God is really the owner of everything and that he gives it to us to manage, but he gives it unequally. He gives it according to our ability, just like in the parable of the talents. And here's the thing that's so important. When God gives us things to manage for him, we will give an account for how we did that. So when God has entrusted things to us, it's important that we understand there is a right to personal or private ownership. 
There's an ad on television right now that has a soliloquy, sort of a silhouette rather, of a man in the background, and he seems to be bowed over in grief. And a young woman says, this is the first time I've ever seen my dad cry, and he's just been robbed. And it's an ad for an alarm system. You see, stealing violates our sense of personhood. It's unjust. It's unfair. But the thief has this idea, other people exist just to meet my needs, and I'll take whatever I want if it gives me an advantage. Stealing, second, is also wrong because it reveals a lack of trust in God's providence. Particularly for the Christian, God has said to you and me, look, I'm going to provide what you need. Philippians 4.19 reads, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God says, look, to the believer, you just trust in me. Look to me, and I'll provide for all of your needs. I clothe the lilies of the field. I, I, I feed the birds of the air, and you're so much more valuable than they. I'm going to see that all your needs are provided. But the thief doesn't believe that. He practices rank self-reliance. He says, no, I don't trust in God. I'm going to take things into my own hands. And indeed he does. And stealing devalues not only the person you steal from, but it devalues you. Now, very quickly, as we're just laying some groundwork here, I want you to look at about four Old Testament passages which help us understand what the penalty was for someone who broke this command. And by the way, Chuck Colson, who spent years of his adult life working with prison fellowship, going into prisons all across America and around the world, he said, I wish to God that in the United States we would look more to this Old Testament system when it comes to how we deal with stealing because we do things very differently today and that's one of the reasons we have 2.3 million people in state and federal prisons in our country and that's not even counting the local jails. So look with me at these passages quickly and let me share with you how God prescribed that thieves be dealt with. Exodus 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. Now, I want you to notice something very important right up front. Thieves were not automatically just thrown in prison. And by the way, you've seen that the violation of a number of these commands, the prescription for that was the death penalty. But not so with stealing, nor were they thrown in prison. This says that there's restitution to be made. In our country, when we throw throw thieves in jail, they usually come out more violent than when they went in, and they come out more clever as thieves. But in the Old Testament, the thief had to make restitution up to five times what had been stolen. And it seems that the more premeditated the act of theft was, the steeper the penalty. Look at another passage. Exodus 22, verse 3. 
a thief must certainly make restitution. But if he has, he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. Now that probably sounds harsh to most of us. But if a thief couldn't pay it back, he or she was sold as a servant for a period of time. And they had to work until they paid off the the debt. Uh, We touch on that today. When a person is commanded by a judge to um, serve 200 hours of community service, what they're doing is paying back their debt to society. But in the old covenant, the thief didn't pay a debt back to the community. They paid it back to the victim. And that's very important to see. And also, you need to understand that most of these debts were paid off in a matter of months or even weeks. And there was also a law that no one could be kept a servant for more than seven years. All servants were released at least within seven years. And they were to be respected and treated as human beings worthy of dignity, not as property. The third passage I'd like you to see is Exodus 22, verse 4. If the stolen animal is found alive in his possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, he must pay back double. Catch that part. In other words, if the animal had been slaughtered, then they were to pay back four or five times. But if the animal is still alive in good shape, uh, they're only to pay back double. Double. Now, that's fitting justice. The penalty is being adjusted according to the crime. One other passage. Numbers chapter 5. When a man or woman wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty and must confess the sin he's committed. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it all to the person he has wronged. Now, apparently here he's talking about a case where the guilty person begins to feel guilty and turns himself in. And so in that case, he doesn't have to pay fivefold, nor does he have to pay double. He only has to pay back what he stole plus 20%. Now think about that for a moment. What a tremendous incentive that is for the guilty to turn themselves in. What an amazingly superior system this was to what we usually see today in our culture. In the Old Testament, crime didn't pay, but the criminal did. But let's turn a corner now, and let's ask a more modern question. I wanted you to see that just so you had a little of the flavor of what happened in the Old Testament. But now let's ask, how is this command violated today? I would say to you that any time you take or keep something that rightfully belongs to another person, whether it's their identity, their car, something that belongs to them, and you do it for the purpose of depriving them of it, that is stealing. Jesus told a parable about that. A man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves who beat him up, robbed him, left him for dead. And today, the mugger, 
the carjacker, the house burglar, the pickpocket are all guilty of breaking this commandment. But what I really want you to see, because I doubt that I'm talking to many pickpockets today. I doubt if I'm talking to many burglars right now. What I want you to see are some of the uncommon ways that we break this command or the spirit of it. When we overcharge unwitting customers. Neglecting to pay back a debt. Knowingly selling faulty goods, charging excess interest, taking small items from your country like pens and pads of paper, etc. I heard about one guy who worked for the highway department, and he worked down laying sod uh, all summer, and each evening when he would go home, he would take a little roll of sod and put it in the trunk of his car, take it home. He got home, he'd lay it out in his backyard, and by the end of the summer, he had a massive backyard, he had totally resodded his backyard. Now think about that for a moment. Here's a guy who considered himself very honest and upright. He would have never stolen a whole truckload of sod, but somehow he felt it was okay to do it on the installment plan. I think some of us may have hearts that are a bit devious like that. So if you're a company owner and you give inferior wages to immigrants... You pirate copyrighted materials. You turn in non-work lunches as an employee or miles or expenses as if they're work-related. If you use fine print or legalese in order to dupe and trick less astute people, friend, hear me, you are guilty of stealing. Deuteronomy 22.1 talks about another way we steal. It says, if you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to him. In other words, this says, finders, keepers, losers, weepers isn't valid, really. This says, look, if you find something that belongs to somebody else, they don't know where it is, you have a moral obligation to take it back, and if you don't, it's tantamount to stealing. Exodus 23, 4 says, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. In other words, we're to return things even to people that we despise or who may think lowly of us. I heard about a guy who looked at his paycheck and realized the boss had given him $100 more than he really deserved. But he did nothing about it. He went ahead and cashed the check and just thought, well, I'll see if he ever says anything. The next week, he got his paycheck, and it had been reduced by $100 because the boss had noticed the mistake. And he was upset. He immediately stormed in and complained to the boss. He said, he said, my check, you made a mistake on my check. And the boss said, well, you didn't say anything last week when I made a mistake. He said, well, yeah, I can overlook one mistake, but now it's becoming a pattern, right? <laughs> a newlywed couple in Chicago some time ago, they were newlyweds just had their wedding they had a party all these gifts had come in at the reception and they put all the checks and all the cash they'd gotten they put it into a black zippered bag 
had all the money, put it on the roof of their car, nearly $12,000 in cash and checks. And they forgot it. Took off for their honeymoon. By the time they reached their destination, obviously it had vanished. They were devastated. You would be too, right? Two days later, a Chicago paper trumpeted this headline. Finders keepers, not all believe it. David Yee, an unemployed suburban resident, found a bag with $12,000 in cash and checks. With all his bills adding up, he might have kept the money. Who would have known the difference? But his conscience wouldn't let him. He found the newlyweds, returned their property and their hopes. David Yee didn't even consider keeping the cash. It doesn't matter, he said, whether it's $50 or a million dollars. It doesn't belong to you. It's just right from wrong. And the article went on to say that David Yee, since then, has been offered a number of jobs from Motorola, Ameritech, Hilton Hotels, Hyundai dealership, and others who want to give him an office and a company car immediately. Now, why would they do that? Why would they want this guy on their team? Because there's a market, folks, for integrity. They know you find a guy like that, you find a guy with that kind of character, you find a woman who understands right from wrong, you better get him on your team because that kind of character is rare. I read this past week that the hotel industry loses an estimated $100 million a year, catch this, to guest thievery. People take all kinds of things from hotels, from towels to remote controls to toilet paper and shower caps, even bolted down televisions and clock radios. One hotel manager reported, true story, that he caught a guy who had backed his pickup truck up to the door of the room, one of these Rooms that, you know, you go out onto the sidewalk from the room. And he was loading the entire room's furnishings into his pickup truck. Imagine that. But you know what? You know who pays for that? Not the Holiday Inn. You, the customer, pay for somebody else's thievery. U.S. News and World Report said that one-fourth of Americans cheat the government on their income taxes. Oh, I know, I know, I know. If there's ever a situation where we want to rationalize and say, well, is that really stealing? It'd probably be this one, right? Yeah, because I know what you're thinking. You're going, well, I don't like the way the government's using the money. Well, I may not like it either, but you know what? I still use the roads that the government keeps up. I still enjoy the protection of the police force. I still enjoy the relatively stable environment that gets created. I still enjoy the parks and the beauty of them. And when we don't pay what we rightfully owe, we aren't just stealing from an impersonal government. We're stealing from other people who have to pay more taxes and more taxes, and more taxes in order to compensate for our dishonesty. There are all kinds of ways we steal, and that's what I want you to get today. 
We can steal someone's reputation. We can steal someone's purity. You can steal someone's self-esteem. But before we leave this and turn the final corner and get really practical, I'm going to mention one other way that many people steal. That is, believe it or not, you can actually steal from God. The Old Testament said a tithe of everything from the land is the Lord's. So in other words, to the Jewish person, they were taught from the very beginning, 10% belonged to God. It was kind of a temple tax, if you will. And when they didn't give that 10%, the teaching was clear, you're literally stealing from God. Listen to what Malachi says in Malachi 3.8. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? And the answer comes back with a resounding declaration in tithes and offerings. You say, but pastor, we're under a new covenant now, right? Yes, we are. Thanks be to God. But you know what? Well, Jesus never rescinded or abolished tithing in any way, by the way. In fact, in two places, in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, he, he seems to say, no, you should do that. He says it to the religious leaders. But you, you should certainly be aware of the weightier matters of the law. In other words, tithing is not the full extent of your discipleship, but it is a part of it, and it's not to be neglected. But in the epistles of the New Testament, here's basically the message. Look, hey, give as God prospers you. That's the message. Give as you've been prospered. Give out of the abundance of God's goodness to you. And you know what I think? Here's what I've concluded. Our attitude should be not how much of my money am I going to give to God. The attitude should be how much of God's money, because it's all his, am I going to keep for myself? God has been so good to us. He's given us an amazing country to live in. He's given us the precious fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. He's given us a healthy church where we can serve him and serve his kingdom and worship God together. He's given us the forgiveness of sins. No more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's given us the promise of eternal life in heaven with him forever. And the list goes on and on and on. And to give anything less than 10%, I don't know about you, but... I would just feel very ungrateful. Folks, God is so good to us. 10% is a great place to start, but it's not necessarily where we should end. I think we should give over and above that. Proverbs fifteen sixteen reads, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. So how do we apply all this? We've seen a little bit of the foundation of the Old Testament and what happened to the thief. We've, we've considered some of the ways that you and I can even unwittingly uh, become thieves ourselves today. But, but now I want to get real practical for the few minutes we have left and talk about some ways to apply this. What principles can we apply to assure that we are really, and I mean truly honest people, first of all? I would suggest to you that if you've stolen anything, repent of your sin, and if possible, if possible, make restitution. Remember when Jesus was crucified? 
And there was a thief. And the thief said, I'm getting what I deserve. I'm guilty. But he became convinced that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Can I say something to you, friend? If you're feeling the weight of your guilt today because of this issue, I want you to know something. There is no thievery so heinous that God's amazing grace cannot forgive you. God can meet you right where you are. There is no sin God cannot forgive, and it's never too late to repent as long as God is drawing you and dealing with your heart. So regardless of what you've stolen, big or little, confess it to God. He says, look, I'll forgive your sin. But, but you know what is interesting about this? This is one of the few commandments where we can actually make restitution. For instance, if you murder somebody, you can't suddenly just bring the dead person back to life and make it right. If you commit adultery, uh, you, you can't undo and erase all of the emotional pain that's been inflicted. But a thief often can make restitution. Zacchaeus was a thief, and he met Jesus one day, and as a thieving tax collector, when Zacchaeus' heart began to change, he said, look, Lord, if I've stolen from anyone, I'll pay back four times what I've taken. That is a changed life. That is restitution. In the early 1900s in Detroit, Michigan, There was a revival in a local church there, and a number of people were baptized into Christ, became disciples of Jesus. And two of them wrote out a check to Henry Ford for articles they had stolen while working in his auto manufacturing company. When Henry Ford found out about it, he was elated. He said, let's dam up the whole Detroit River and baptize the entire company. You know what? It makes a profound statement when Christian people begin to make restitution. And if that's possible for you to do, I would urge you to do it. The Bible says in 1 Peter, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. In other words, unbelievers. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Second, I would suggest to you that you cultivate a sensitive conscience about stealing. Please, please don't cop the attitude. Oh, just everybody does it. It's no big deal. I'm not really hurting anybody. Don't get sucked into the downward spiral of this world. The Bible says we're not to be conformed, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. One father wrote, my son Daniel, while in the eighth grade saw a small bag of cookies on the teacher's desk. I know it wasn't due to starvation, but he decided to have a mid-morning snack. (laughs) I received a phone call from the principal who was trying to downplay this act of theft by saying, ah, I know it's just a bag of cookies. The principal began to chuckle. But I told the principal not to, please, don't make light of it to throw the book at Daniel and to call it what it was, stealing. So, Daniel was suspended for a day. 
The father said he took the day off from work to oversee Daniel's day of freedom from education. He made him mow the grass, work in the garden, wash the car. And he said, when his siblings came home, Daniel thought the day was over. Not so. I made him go get his allowance, and we went to the grocery store. He bought some flour, some sugar, some chocolate chips, and pecans. And that night, he made five dozen cookies. I took an early lunch the next day and went to meet him at the school and found found the class, called Daniel and his teacher out into the hall. Daniel apologized to his teacher. And he was instructed by me that he also owed the class an apology. If he needed persuasion, I would accompany him into the class and introduce him. Daniel decided he could do it on his own. So he grabbed the cookies, walked into the classroom and said, I want to apologize to the class because I'm the one who stole the cookies off the teacher's desk. So I made a bunch of cookies for us to share. And the class, get this, erupted in applause. And the father concludes, sometimes I just feel like a jerk when doing things like that. But how can we tell our kids to be responsible and to make restitution for our actions if we don't show them how? Cultivate a sensitive conscience like that, not only in your children, friend, but do it in yourself as well. Third, I urge you today, brothers and sisters in Christ, at all of our locations, I urge you to be alert to rationalizations and avoid them. Now, several weeks ago, I recommended to you Laura Schlesinger's book. Dr. Laura Schlesinger has a great book on the Ten Commandments, and so many uh, of the illustrations I'm using today came right out of her book. And she talks about a number of ways that we rationalize our dishonesty. We say things, she says, like this. I didn't know it was hot. I just thought it was a bargain to buy a television 80% off off the back of a pickup truck. Oh, really? But when we knowingly buy stolen property, we're an accessory to theft. Or we say, it's their stupid mistake. You know, if the cashier made too much change, the waitress forgot to put my drink on the bill. It's not my problem, it's their problem. After all, it's only fair, considering all the bad luck I've had. I deserve it because I don't have nearly as much as other people, and I work just as hard. I work just as hard. It's not hurting anybody. It's not costing anybody any money. You can lie about your child's age and get a free movie ticket. Who's hurt? You're receiving something you didn't rightfully pay for. I'm only borrowing it for a time. We say, I'll repay it. I did it for a good reason. Everybody else does it. All's fair in love and war and in business. And the list goes on and on and on. Friend, I'm simply saying, why don't we just, why don't we just call it what it is? It's stealing. It's stealing. And ask God to help us overcome the temptation. One final thing as we close. I urge you today, dear friends, to give generously of your resources and trust God for his provisions. 
In Luke 6, beginning in verse 29, Jesus gave what I believe is a very challenging teaching for us in this modern world. He said, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I don't think, I don't think Jesus is saying there, look, if somebody steals your car, just give them your van too. No, 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 no. I think he's talking about somebody who's really in need, right? And he's saying, look, be gracious. Be generous. Give, give even more than they need because you've been blessed so abundantly. You've received freely, so you freely give. And you know what? Every time you do that, you're reminding yourself, my life does not consist in the abundance of things I possess. I'm going to possess my possessions, but my possessions are not going to possess me. And that's a great day when we come to that realization. Hey, hey, have you noticed something about these commandments? Boy, I've noticed it. Have you noticed along with me that every single one of these commandments makes us feel guilty? (laughs) Have you you caught that? Have you been feeling that right along with me? Every week I want to walk in and say, well, this one doesn't apply to me, really. And every week I walk out saying, God nailed me again. Just when I thought I was getting at least one of them right, God nailed me again. Well, you know what? That's exactly the purpose of these commandments. Are you listening today? God did not give us these commandments primarily to make us better. Oh, I hope you're hearing this part. He gave the commandments so that we would look at them and go, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. That's why Paul says in Romans 3 verse 20, therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. When we look at the high bar of ethical standards that God's given, we realize how far we fall short. When we look at the straight edge of the law, we realize how crooked we really are. And hopefully, we say, wow, I'm guilty. I need a Savior. I need God's grace. My favorite musical of all time is Les Miserables. It's the powerful story of Jean Valjean, this convict who spent 20 years in prison for stealing a loaf of bread. But when he gets out, his life of hardship is not over because ex-cons in those days couldn't get a job anywhere. They were marked men. And so he roams the countryside, barely existing, until finally he's taken in by a kindly bishop who allows him to spend the night. But what happened that night and in its aftermath, 
is a powerful, powerful moment that changed Jean Valjean's life forever. Would you watch this brief movie clip with me? Let's watch this powerful story together. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank and... God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed. <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. That one radical act of grace changed Jean Valjean's life, and he was never the same. 
Brothers and sisters, we have been forgiven much. We've been bought at a price, and we're not our own. We've been redeemed. We realize how radical that grace is. May we never, ever be the same again. Father, thank you for the gift of your grace. And thank you for looking at our thieving, robbing, pilfering hearts. And in spite of our sin, you lavished your grace on us when we didn't deserve a bit of it. We can't understand grace like that. It blows us away. But just like Jean Valjean, help us to never be the same because we've been forgiven much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.